0: All right, well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at James chapter 3. So James chapter 3. And uh, this evening is kind of a follow-up to what we talked about last Sunday morning. And so as I was kind of writing out this devotion, um, I almost... Started this morning with this talk, um, but and kind of pushed the conversations with God, uh, but this really just kind of worked out better to be on a sunday night and so we 're just going to kind of walk through this text um, james chapter three we 're going to look at verses two through twelve, and so a very familiar passage. I think many of us have read or studied or even memorized parts of this um, we 've got a couple of teachers in here that are probably taught through this and talked to taught kids about this, but uh, I want to walk through this this evening and one of the reasons that I was in James on Unity Fest is because uh, I just individually in my morning readings and stuff was just going through the book of James again and just making notations and things like that. And that phrase we talked about at Unity Fest bridling our tongue. just kind of jumped out at me when I was studying. And it just led to a little bit deeper study, which kind of led to the message last Sunday. Same thing with our passage tonight. As I was reading through just in the mornings, just kind of journaling some things down, uh, there was an aspect of this passage that jumped out at me. And although I I don't know how many times I've read this passage, it's, you know, quite a few times, most likely. Um, This aspect of the passage, I never quite thought about this way. And so I just praise God that when we're in his word and we're just studying and and listening to to the word of God, I'm not talking about audibly, but just the Spirit of God will begin to kind of bring an awareness to a part of a passage that maybe we needed to hear at this point, but maybe we didn't need to hear it before. We needed to hear something else last time we read it. So just so cool how God works and moves through a text. And so, again, kind of a follow-up to that idea of our speech, uh, keeping our speech in check by the Spirit of God or bridled, which is the idea of that. And so again, this evening, I'm going to continue to look at a portion of James 3 and discover that we are driven and yet directed. We're driven and yet directed. And so James 3, verses 2 through 12, if I could get a volunteer who would like to read, I always love to have other people read because you guys hear me quite enough as it is. And so maybe if somebody would like to read those verses for us, verses 2 through 12. Sandra? Okay. I didn't know if that was a hand raise or if you were just saying hi. Hi. Okay, I know she was just like, hey, I'm still here. It's great. Go ahead, if you would, please. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so as I said, very familiar passage, right? And there's a lot of things in there. But one thing I do want to just kind of summarize, we see three illustrations that refer to the tongue. The tongue is like these three things. And so what are the three things we see the tongue being referred to or talked about here in this passage? Give me one of, somebody give me one of those three things. Yep. The, the bit, right? You put the bit in the horse's mouth to guide the horse, to direct the horse's body. Right? So he's saying the tongue is like that bit, that bit kind of leads the horse. Our tongue leads us, right? What's the other, what's another illustration or example of the tongue in this passage? Okay. A small rudder or a helm that steers a large vessel. Okay. So again, a big horse, an animal, small bit. Small helm, small kind of steering wheel, large vessel. And then what's the last aspect of the illustration that we're given about the tongue? Okay, Uh, it's kind of like kindling, right? The tongue is like a piece of kindling, dry wood that you use to start a large fire, right? And I've been amazed to see what people can do, um, start large fires from very small kindling, right? A very small flame can become a very large flame quite quickly. And so here we see these three examples. And what do all of these things have in common? Number one, the tongue is powerful, right? That's the point. The tongue is very powerful, but also that the tongue guides us and leads us. Okay. Now I want to focus in on one kind of aspect of one of these illustrations. And so we're going to really kind of focus in on the aspect of the helm and the ship. And only because there's a phrase there, and that's kind of what jumped Out to me. When you see here, it says in verse 4 Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm. Uh, and the King James says, Withersoever, which is an amazing word, it's like giant on the page, whithersoever the governor listeth, or as Sandra's translation said, the captain wants to go. So wherever the captain wants to go, he turns that helm, and no matter how big the ship is, it's gonna go, right? But the aspect I want to focus in on here is the winds that are beating against the ship, the winds that are coming against the vessel. And that's kind of something that jumped out to me this last week when I was studying, is this idea of the winds that come against us, if if our tongues are the steering wheel and our bodies are the vessel, those winds are coming against all of us. And those winds that come against us are a couple different winds. And I'm going to kind of use this as a illustration tonight. The first of the winds of the world that come against us is the wind of thinking like the world. There is a pressure in our culture today to think like the world. It's a wind that comes against us a lot of ways, and it pushes us, and it pulls at us, and it desires us to think like the world. Like a tree pushed by the winds of a storm, we are pushed by the world's desire for us to think like the world, to think like them. And I thought about this again just recently here, a little bit this last storm, but last big storm we had where it was like one of those ones where like it's not raining, and then you blink, and then it's like a downpour and crazy winds, and then you blink and it's gone. We were kind of, we went out to the garden that that Sandra put in, and we were looking at some of the, the plants. And so many of them were literally just pushed over by the winds. And it wasn't like it was crazy windy for, you know, five hours. It was a quick wind, but it was strong enough, forceful enough that it actually bowed the plants down towards the ground. And I think about that as we talk about living in this world. We have winds of the world that push against us. And there are times, if you're being honest as a follower of Christ through your life, it's felt as though you're being pushed down by this pressure to think like the world, to be consumed by greed by selfishness, by pride, or to be consumed with the relative truth that is so strong in our world today. These winds, this wind of thinking like the world pushes against us. The wind of non-judgment, or those that live in sin. The wind of tolerance at the cost of absolute obedience to God's word. The wind of redefining what this or that term means to fit the cultural accepted definition. These are all ways the world is trying to get us to think like the world system. Now, saying all of that, the people in the world are not our enemy. Our neighbors are not our enemy. The way they think is the enemy the way they want us to change God's word, that that manipulation, that's the enemy. And that's just driven by Satan. I truly believe that, and by the flesh. And so it's not the people that we're warring against, but these winds push against us. Christians are desiring to stand firm. We want to stand firm, but we're being pushed by these winds. And that's why I love, you can jot it down, the verse in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 7. It's a key verse to keep us from bending too far. We all get pushed down a little bit. That's okay. We all get pressured down. But Colossians 2, seven reminds us that we're rooted in Christ. We're rooted in Christ. It can be difficult to not give in. It's very difficult. to not want to go, okay, fine. I'll just, I'll just agree to disagree or I'll just conform so that I don't have to deal with this anymore. I understand that. But when we are rooted in Christ, we don't have to give in. We don't have to submit to the winds. They push against us, but they don't have to control us. We're rooted in Christ. And I love that word rooted because the deeper the roots go, the stronger the tree, the stronger the plant, right? There's trees that are hundreds of years old that have gone through countless storms. And what kept them upright? The roots. Because it went deep and they were strong. And I know that's kind of a a simple or maybe even a trite illustration. We've all heard that before, but the reality is still true and the winds pushed against them. Uh, And when we lived in Emily city, we have we had a maple tree in our front yard. Nothing was massive. I hated it in the fall because it dumped a ton of leaves. I'm talking like wicked deep leaves. And I always was amazed. These storms would come in and would just beat against this thing and nothing. I mean, it just stood there firm, strong, That's what it means to be rooted in Christ. We are in the midst of the storm. The winds are beating against us. And it's not us who are standing. It's what? Our roots in Christ. He's keeping us upright. And so these winds of the world come against us, just like the winds in James 3. And what is the wind? The first one, it's the thinking as the world thinks. Another wind, and there's probably many that you could think of, but another wind that comes against all believers is the wind of believing As the world believes. So, thinking as the world thinks and believing as the world believes. Now, some people think, well, that's kind of the same thing. It can be, but I think it's also a step farther. We are pressured in this world to believe in an all loving, all accepting, no judgment God, one that acts at our pleasure and our will. One that acts in our pleasure and our will. So, what would be an example? That you could think of is this kind of teaching, all accepting, all loving, but acts according to our will. What would be a way that that would be practically taught, maybe even in church? Sure. Well, comes to mind me immediately of situation, conversations with family, members, sure. um, those who are, again, children. Just Josiah. Mm -hmm. Mhm. Mhm. He wouldn't wouldn't judge. He wouldn't condemn. Right? Yep. Right. So it's it's a few things happening here, right? We've created from a misuse of scripture or handpicking certain verses because Jesus does love, but not to that extent. So we handpick verses, then we create. Right. So we handpick some verses and then we create a Jesus that we are comfortable with, and then we preach that Jesus would not be having an issue with this; He's accepting of this. And I would say to them, well, your Jesus is okay with it, but Jesus, the Jesus is not okay with it, right? So exactly. Yeah. It's this idea that it's okay because Jesus loves and Jesus, and you can't pick who you love and those kind of things. Right. Yep. So ignoring sin, open, known sin, because, well, that's not very loving. Okay. Now we have to be careful how we do that. We need to do it biblically, right? Because our churches where they have no problem calling out sin and they make a show of it, right? Embarrassing the person, shaming them, and then they drive them out of the church. No restoration, no repentance, no fruit. But we need to be biblical about it, but we need to address the sin, right? In love, speaking the truth in love. Love. Another example of maybe how the world's way of wanting us to believe can creep in even into the church, that God just conforms to our will. Maybe another way that that is practically taught in the church or even in supposed Christian circles. Yeah, I was, I, yeah, I was hoping somebody would bring that up. Yep. Didn't have enough faith, right? Let's take it even a step farther, not just with healing, money, right? Right. The word of faith movement, right? I spoke it. I declared it. I'm sorry. I didn't speak it. I declared it, which apparently means something different. I declared it. Therefore, it must happen. These are things that the world wants us to believe. Now, the world, you wouldn't think that because it sounds Christian-ish, but I think the world, Satan and our flesh love when Christians manipulate scripture. Love when Christians, or supposed Christians, start teaching pride-driven theology, or self-centered theology. Yeah. Yep, yep. You can be like God, which is pride and arrogance, right? And so this is the idea. We have the wind of thinking like the world blows against us, but then the wind of believing as the world does. And I say the world because these beliefs are not in the Bible. The only other place we can find them is in the world, in a flesh-driven theology. Uh, This idea of conforming or God conforming to our wishes, our wants like a genie, merely performing tasks that please us. This is so prevalent in Christian circles or professing Christian circles, and it is leading many, many people astray. I mentioned it this morning, that there's a, there's a move in the church. And, and one of the things I talked about, I think it was in our last conversations with God, was how the New Age movement has crept into the church. And there are so many things that are being taught from pulpits that are not biblical, but New Age. Um, basically word of faith is a new age idea. I, you know, I believe it. I've said it. I've declared it. Um, I've prayed over it and God's going to got to do it because I've done all these things. That's just new age thinking. I've thought it positively and I've declared it and all these things. Um, the idea of the law of attraction, that if I put this out into the universe, it will come back to me. So some people call it karma in new age. It's called law of attraction, but this is where the idea is. If I do this, God will do this. So if I say this prayer, God has to respond this way. If I declare it this way, God has to do it this way. Um, And they believe this. This is, and I don't usually name names, but Joel Osteen is very, very well known for his I am declarations. You, you stand up in the morning and you say, I am attractive. I am intelligent. I am successful. And you just go down the list of whatever it is. And because you started with I am, and that's in the Bible, you, God has to do it. So if you get up and say, I am going to get the job, you'll get the job. And if you don't get the job, it's because you didn't believe and have faith. You doubted somewhere. That's just the law of attraction. That's new age teaching. But we throw a Bible verse on it. Out of context, we have a pastor say it, so we believe it. And this is, again, leading many Christians astray because the world wants us to think this way. This was also not only James' concern, but Paul's concern. Ephesians 4 and verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. So this is that contrary teaching or doctrine that the world wants to live in. By the sight of man, by cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. The world wants to deceive us because the world is acting in agreement with Satan. And when we give in to this stuff, we're being led astray. As we mature in Christ, we will become more aware of of this pressure from the world. If we continue to study the word, connect to the local church, and pray for his wisdom, this will lead us to understanding that the winds come against us, but we are not directed by the winds, we're directed by the Spirit. So the winds beat against us and they try to drive us, but the winds don't direct us. The winds might drive against us, but the Spirit of God directs us. And that's kind of what jumped out to me in this study. Look at verse 4 again. So the winds come against the ship. It's driven of fierce winds. Yet, it's a key understanding here, yet they are turned about, what? The ships, the vessels, are turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Wherever the captain wants the boat to go, no matter the winds, James is saying, you can direct that ship where you want it to go, in spite of the winds. And so how are we directed by the Spirit? Well, we're directed by the Spirit in our speech. Notice that the winds come against the large vessel, but it is the helm under the control of the captain that determines the course of the ship. What we say will become what we do, as our words tend to be the true reflection of our hearts and minds or desires. What we talk about is what's consuming us. It's what we really want, and we'll be driven to go get those things. We'll be directed to go get those things. We want those things that we talk about. So the ship will go the direction the captain wants to go, so what is guiding or who is guiding the captain? If the captain decides where the ship goes, because I'm the one controlling the, vessel, the, the helm, my tongue, and I'm the governor and I want to control my ship and make it go where God wants me to go, or I make it go where I want it to go. So who ultimately controls me controls the tongue, which controls the direction. So how do I make sure that my vessel goes in the right direction? I surrender to the spirit. I submit to the spirit. I'm full of the Spirit, as Ephesians 5.19 says. I'm given myself to the Spirit. I'm, I'm under the control of the Spirit. Not just my speech, but my body. Right? We are temples of God. Right? We're temples of the Spirit of God. We've been indwelt by the Spirit of God. And so He will lead us and guide us. So how does the Spirit give us wisdom to lead us and guide us? Through His Word. He will open our minds and our hearts to understand this is what I need to be doing. And so when I talk about things and I, I focus on things, which is really what we're saying, we're focusing on these directions. If we're spirit-led, we're going to go the direction we need to go. It's amazing when you think about David and Bathsheba. David's biggest problem was that he was, well, number one, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Wasn't where he was supposed to be. He let his eyes look on something he shouldn't have looked on. But up to that point, he would have been fine. It's when he said, go get her. He spoke, go get her. And from that moment on, he was committed to that path. He let his words direct his actions, which came ultimately from his heart and his desires. I want this. I'm telling you, I want this. And then I'm going to do that. And so here we see that, yes, the winds come against the vessel. They drive against the ship. But we decide where we go under the guidance of, Of the Holy Spirit. So, what does that tell us? Although the winds drive against us, the winds of the world's way of thinking, the winds of the world's way of believing, it is not the wind's fault where I end up. It is not the wind's fault. We cannot say that it is the wind that did this or that in my life or led to this or that action. It was my choice to direct my body or the ship into that course. So, how do we keep our ships on course? How do we make sure we're staying on course? Great question. Thank you for asking. Look at verse 13. You guys always ask the perfect question at the perfect time. It's amazing. James chapter 3 and verse 13 says this. Oh, well, I guess, would somebody else like to read? I know I, I, I was going to just jump in, but if somebody else wants to. Verses 13 through 18. Somebody else wants to read that for us. Julie. Awesome. Thank you. disorder, and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is, shown, is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay, so here we see, now James doesn't give us the fruit of the Spirit like Paul does, but we definitely see similar, the same wording, right? Now, there's two kinds of wisdom here, James says, that we're, we can seek after. One is earthly. What else does he describe that wisdom as, the earthly wisdom? Not only is it earthly, what else would it say it is? Okay, demonic. What'd you say? Unspiritual. The King James says sensual, okay? What does it mean? Like fleshy, right? It's driven of the flesh. It, it pleases the flesh, And then he says this in verse 16, for where envying and strife, and I believe Julie's translation said jealousy, it says there is confusion in every evil work, where there is jealousy and envy and strife. Man, the world's way of wanting us to think and believe, if we allow that wind to direct us, we will find ourselves there. This is why even in churches, there's bitterness and envying and all these things, because we've been allowed to, or we allow ourselves to be, directed by the wind of thinking like the world. But he says, that's not our only option. And I love this. It's not, it's not, you either have the world or you have nothing. He goes on to say in verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above. Now, this is not the first time he's talked about wisdom in the book, right? Where else has he talked about wisdom earlier in the book? Yeah. And we ask God for it who is above, and it says, he will give it to us. And so again, notice that James is tying this all together. That's why I love the book of James. It's so practical. He says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. Verse 17 of chapter 3. But the wisdom that is from above, that wisdom you were already asking God for, it's not going to look like the world's wisdom. That's kind of what he's saying. It's not going to be selfish and, 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 you know, kind of self-driven. There's a difference to it. It's pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality. Now that should be a reminder to us. He spent a little bit of time where talking about partiality in chapter two, right? Chapter two is all about showing favoritism and showing partiality. He says, if you're seeking God's wisdom, you're not going to do that. So how do I avoid falling into the pit of chapter two? Well, seek heavenly wisdom, which he talked about in chapter 1, verse 5. So again, we see it tying it all together. So how do I make sure my ship is on the right course? Seek heavenly wisdom. Now, James is interesting because James is kind of like a New Testament Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is considered like a wisdom book in the Old Testament. James is what we'd call like a sister New Testament book to Proverbs. It's very much full of wisdom and and wise sayings and things like this. And so here we see, how do I make sure that my, my speech will be glorifying to God? My words will keep me on the right path. Seek heavenly wisdom. But also, as we already kind of alluded to, we need to surrender the helm to the Spirit. So it's not just saying, as the captain of this vessel, I surrender you. It's, no, no, I'm giving you complete control of everything. So it's not just, help me to say the right things. It's, Lord, I want your spirit to speak through me. And I think there's a difference there. I think it's also important to say, I surrender my life to you. But I think it's even more important to say, no, I want you to keep my very words in check. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago. When we surrender the helm... To the Spirit, He will direct us into paths that we need to travel down, but we would avoid of our own choosing. So when we surrender to the Spirit, He will lead us down paths that we need to travel down so that we could be and experience all that God has for us, but we would not choose those paths. We would go, No, I'm not going down there because we don't see the benefit, we don't see the fruit from it. But if we surrender, we don't get to say, I'm not going there, I'm only going over there. That's the whole point of surrender. This is why the Bible speaks often of allowing the word of God to be a light unto our path. We in our own cannot see the best path to take because we will be drawn to the easier road, not the best road. We'll be drawn to the easier path, not the best path. So here, I just when I was reading this week, and I thought about just how many times I've heard people say, Well, yeah, but I I did that because of this person. I said that because they said this to me. I reacted this way because of what happened in the world today. I'm reacting this way because of what's going on around me. This is our world today. People are just reacting. Whether, whatever the side of an aisle someone's on, so many people are just reacting. Well, they showed hate, so I reacted by showing hate. They did this, so I reacted this way. And again, I I watch news very infrequently. I mean, clips here or there on my phone sometimes. And it doesn't matter what party you're talking about. Everybody's just yelling at everybody. Because nobody is allowing themselves to say, you know what? I'm not just going to react to the situation. I'm going to rise above this and act on this situation. I'm going to allow God to speak through me in this situation. Instead of just responding this way. And they'll use the excuse of, well, look what they did to me. But James is saying, no, no, the winds are going to come against you. They're going to drive against you. But you direct the course of your life. You direct the course you take. And it starts with your speech. We are all affected and affected. We're effected and affected by the winds of this world. Being pushed this way and that by our culture. And yet it is not the wind's fault if we allow ourselves to be led by them. We choose to be directed by our speech, our tongues, We give in or choose by grace to resist. Stop blaming the wind and start letting the spirit direct our words and our actions. And so I pray this is an encouragement to you. Because like I said, when I was reading this last week, I believe it was, and I was just making some notes, I thought, man, I've done this. I've blamed the wind. Man, if it just wasn't like this in the world today, we'd be so much better off. James says, no, no, no. If you seek wisdom that's heavenly and you allow the spirit complete control, the winds will come but they don't have to push you down. They might push you, but they don't push you down. And then we actually mature in Christ, that's surrender to the Spirit and seeking heavenly wisdom, and then we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. I don't know about you, but I've talked to Christians who are literally just standing in loose sand of teaching and belief. They just don't know what they believe. They don't know why they believe it. And they've been convinced to believe this, and then they're just that easily convinced to believe this. They don't have any square footing. And I see it all the time. You see it too. Like Bible verses just thrown out there completely out of context, but gets tons of likes because, well, this famous pastor said it, or this sounds really good. But we got to stop and step back and say, is that a wind of thinking like the world or is that thinking heavenly? Like the Bible would have me to think, God, give me wisdom in this. I surrender to you. Help me to speak the things that would be glorifying to you. So again, I just want to take some time tonight and just kind of share that with you guys. I pray it's an encouragement to you in whatever way that God would bless you with that. But any other comments or thoughts before we get ready to wrap up and, and close in prayer? I know we're going to end a little early tonight, but that's fine. Give you a chance to hang out in fellowship. But any other comments or questions or thoughts on that? When you were, when you were saying about the world comes everybody's angry, we're all quick. It, it brought back to mind in chapter 1 mm-hmm. oh. Yep. Yeah. We need to actually hear what they're saying. Mm-hmm. We need to, because if, if I'm speaking, I'm not hearing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I tell my students, if you're talking, you're not hearing. Right, right. So it was a reminder for myself, you know, I need to listen to what they're saying yep. before I want to get my opinion out there. You yeah. Know? hmm Yep. Yep. Yeah. Because sometimes, again, it's not what we're saying that's the problem. Maybe it's when we're saying it, how we're saying it. Um, is there a relationship that gives me the ability to even say this to this person? Um, and so absolutely. And I love, that was one of the things I loved about Vodi Bauckham's um, expository apologetics video that we did over a couple of weeks. Um, what was that? was back in the winter or whatever it was. Um, and he talked about when you're having a discussion with somebody of a different belief to actually make sure you're listening to them. Don't start thinking about what you're going to say to refute what they're saying. Listen to them, hear what they say. And this is true of not just people in the world, but people in their Christian circles. If they start saying something they believe, stop and really listen and then ask questions. Like, why do you think that? Why do you believe that? And I think that all starts with listening. Absolutely. Where, in, in, in one, right. Right. Said too. It's not just wisdom of the world, right. It's, right. Right. Yep. And how we listen and how we, we discern. Yeah. And maybe we just need to be quiet. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's sometimes that's very true. Uh, and I've been in situations where I've wanted to say something and I tried to say something and just the spirit was like, it's just not going to be fruitful. Don't do it. Um, other times it's, I didn't want to say something. The spirit was like, you need to say something. And for me, those are the harder moments because I don't love conflict. So for me, it's harder to speak out when I don't think I should versus but I mean, that was when I was young in ministry. Now I'm fine. I can, I love, no, I don't love conflict. But um, once you're in ministry for a while, conflict becomes just let's go. Um, No, just kidding. But one of the things I love about James is that very thing, that it's really just a couple basic principles unpacked a few different ways. It really all comes down to heavenly wisdom, earthly wisdom. Now, let me show you what that looks like. Here's what earthly wisdom sounds like when you speak. Here's what earthly wisdom looks like in the church when you show partiality. Um, And so heavenly wisdom looks like this. And so again, I I love the book for that reason. Um, And it's been a really cool study just going through it in the mornings. But um, yeah, just when that jumped out to me, I never thought about the winds come against all of us, but the winds never to blame for the course of the ship. It's the captain it's me deciding where I'm going to direct my vessel. And then it's up to me surrendering to God to say, no, you actually direct me and we'll end up in a lot better place for sure. Of course, if it was up to us, some of us would never leave the Harbor. We would just stay in the safe little Harbor. We would never go out to sea because well, there's storms out there, I don't want to go out there, but that's where we're going to really experience. I, I truly believe we experience more of God's not talking about emotionalism, but more of God's moving, uh, we see God's purpose revealed more when we're not tied to the harbor. When we're out in the water, in the deep, just trusting. Yeah. Because I've always said Jesus was in the storm and he was with the disciples in the storm. He, ne- he didn't stay back on the shore and say, you guys will be fine. I'll be right here. He went out with them. And I think a lot of times Jesus is out in the storm and we're, we're crying out to him. And he's like, well, if you join me out here, I could do some great things. But you're still on the shore. I, I mean, you're pretty safe and comfortable there. So I, I do believe we would stay tied to harbor if we could. Absolutely. So and isn't it interesting down here in chapter six, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire force of life. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If we could realize that and understand that really, truly get a good grip on that young yes. life. Yeah, and I think when I read that I think about a forest fire that's just let to go wild. Whole of your life. Yep. Yeah, it's just raging through every area of your life. Um but we don't think about that. We, we tend to think about in the moment. Absolutely. So, anyone else? Any comments, questions, or thoughts before we close in prayer? Good stuff. If it's been a while since you read James, I encourage you to read through it again. It's a great resource. A lot of good stuff in there. Only five chapters, so you could actually do a chapter a day. I take a little longer sometimes, but you could do it that way if you wanted to. All right. Well, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll let you guys hang out for a little bit before we're dismissed. Father... We thank you, Lord, so much for uh, this word, and we thank you for inspiring James to write these words. Uh, Lord, what a heart of a pastor we read on every page of just uh, someone that was consumed with a love for the local church that obviously saw some things and by your leading knew of some things that would come into the church. And it's amazing to me that 2,000 years later, some of the same issues and some of the same problems that we we see in our church today meaning church in America, is is similar to what they had in the church 2,000 years ago. Same spirit, same salvation, same leading, uh, but yet allowing themselves to get distracted and get off course. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help us to be both encouraged by this, to know that if you could still use them, you can use us, but also to be challenged, to think differently, to speak differently, to desire you to control and lead us and guide us, and that, again, that we would live our lives in a way that would reflect your glory and your, your praise. And Father, we thank you, again, for tonight. Thank you for a chance to gather with the body of Christ. Uh, Lord, it's just genuinely so good to be in church, to be with your people. And I just pray, Lord, that you would affirm these words in our hearts and minds, that we would go forth, Lord, and we would see a difference in our communities because of the words that we speak, the way that we think. That, Lord, the winds come against all of us. Uh, But, Lord, they don't have to direct us. We surrender to you. You direct us as we give ourselves to you. So, Father, again, thank you for this time tonight. Pray be with our prayer requests we mentioned at the beginning. And give us a great week ahead as we desire to make a difference for you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.